you have a copy of the scriptures with you today, you can turn over to Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians will be there in just a second. Um, if you have a copy of the scriptures or your device, if not, we'll have it for you on the screen. But be in Philippians. I want to remind you as uh, you're turning there, we told you last week that we have an awesome opportunity to serve some families in our community uh, for the Christmas season. And so I uh, told you we would have more details about that. So that's kind of true and kind of not due to some things a little bit outside of our control. We're really close. Um, what I will tell you is uh, we're going to have 11 families. I said 10 last week, but it's going to be 11 because why not? And uh, these are families that uh, could very well use a little help around the Christmas time, having a Christmas meal, having maybe a gift or two, some clothes, some, some needed items for their kids. And so uh, we've been blessed to get to not just, just provide these things, which is awesome, but we've been blessed to actually get to meet these folks and know them and pray for them and, and get to go deliver the things that they need to them. And so 11 families, what we've decided uh, is that we're going to kind of organize that or process that through um, groups, uh, primarily our community groups. And so uh, we've talked about that at groups. seems everybody's kind of on board and excited about that. And, and so those groups will each have a couple of families and uh, get the stuff for those families and, and plan a time to go and meet those folks, maybe pray with them. If nothing else, hug their neck, tell them that they're loved by Jesus. Uh, and we we'll also know, though, that there's some of you who maybe aren't part of a community group for uh, really different reasons or great reasons. Some of you are part of a discipleship group, whatever else, right? But if you're not part of a community group and you also uh, would still like to take part in this, we've got a couple of families that we've saved just for folks in, in your situation. And so uh, be looking out, uh, hopefully, maybe, possibly, end of the day tomorrow, but I tend to be a dreamer, so it may be Tuesday. Uh, hopefully, we will get back the information we need to know kind of clothing sizes and different items like that, the information we need, and then we're going to have checklists online where when you purchase something for an individual, you can check that off, and that way we're not double buying and triple buying while another thing's not being purchased. We're going to have that set up. Uh, we're ready to do that. We're just waiting on some information. Hopefully, we have that tomorrow or the next day. Be watching for that. We'll send an email to you about that. Also, be watching for that on the church's social media outlets, so you'll be aware uh, of where to click to see who needs what. Get that together, uh, especially if you're not part of a community group. Be watching there. Uh, if you are in a community group, you should be hearing from your community group leader regarding that. All right? But listen. Here, here's, here's the big part that I want you to hear more than anything is this is a really awesome and somewhat unique opportunity to really get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, like, like life on life, get to hug a neck and go, hey, I don't want to just give you some stuff in a bag. I, I want you to know we're here for you and we love you, right? And, and so we, we really want to be uh, charging full steam in, into this, all right? And so plan to be a part of that, all right? Before we open God's word, I want to pray really quickly. I know that we prayed. It's not because AJ is deficient in his prayer skills, uh, if that's even a thing. Uh, I want to pray uh, because it'll probably be good for me. Uh, but also, I want to give us an opportunity before we open God's word um, to remember that we're not just here to do some things about God, but that we're here to be with God. So we're not just here to learn some, some stuff from his word from a guy who tries to plan and talk about it a little bit, but we're actually here to let God speak to our hearts from his word. And so... No matter how you come here today, I hope that you came here today realizing that you have a much better hope of something life transformation happening in you than me, okay? I'm not going to be able to do that for you, okay? Uh, I, I know me pretty well, and I'm pretty lacking in life transformation skills for you, okay? But the God of the universe could possibly use even my weirdness and craziness in his word to help us. Right? And so if you're here today, even if you're not sure there is a God, if you're frustrated with God, or if you're as excited about God as you ever have been, no matter how you come, 
If you're here today and it would be true from your heart that you'd say, God, I want to hear from you. I want to know that you've spoken deep into my soul. If that's true for you, I'm going to give you just a couple seconds. And just in whatever your attitude, posture, whatever prayer looks like, you say that to God. God, if you speak, I'll listen and I'll pray for you. Father, we know that you're the same one who spoke to make light shine out into the darkness and that you spoke and it just happened. You're the same one who did that and you have spoken to bring about radiant, glaring image of your glory in the face of Jesus because you're not a God who's hiding. You're not a God who doesn't desire to be known. And so God, in this moment, I, I ask that you would and God, I, I'm doing my best to just completely trust and expect by faith that you will answer every heart who would say they want to hear from you. God, that may be a challenge from your word. That may be a comfort from your word. That may be some of both. God, I don't have the first idea what every single unique heart needs most this morning. But I'm asking for everyone who would say, yes, if there's a God, I want to hear from him. Or yes, God, I'm frustrated, but I want to hear from you. Or yes, God, I love you. Please let me know I've heard from you. No matter how we come, God, for every heart that wants to hear from you, I pray that you would make it clear that you have spoken, that your word would shape our souls in some way or another this morning. And we ask it that we might see you and know you and love you and glorify you for the sake of your name. King Jesus, amen. So for several weeks, if you hadn't been with us, we have been studying through the book of Philippians. We're going to take that even uh, into the first part of next year. We're going to press pause in a couple of weeks uh, for Christmas season and New Year's, and we're going to talk about something a little different. But then we'll jump back in. We're studying through Philippians, and we're in chapter 2. If you were here last week, you remember we started chapter 2, and, and basically what we saw there was how cool it is and unique it is that God can give us happiness in our humility, that, that in a world where we're told to strive for ourselves and make sure we're pursuing the American dream and we're building the house and getting the job and doing all the stuff, in a world like that where that's usually the message, that the, the truth is actually quite opposite of that. It's when I take the interest of others before my own and I strive to love and serve others in the way that Jesus does so that they might see Jesus through me. It's when I live that kind of humble lifestyle, that's where God has really wired a lot of happiness to make its way into our lives. That's where we left it last week. You, Paul called the Philippian church, and I would say us because it's God's word, to this kind of humble happiness. And then he gave us the example of Jesus. He said, hey, listen, Jesus was God in flesh. He came to the earth knowing all the glory of what it means to be God, all the essence and nature of what it means to be God, and yet he chose to die as a servant on a cross. That's kind of where we left off last week. We're going to jump back in knowing that as the context because the context makes a ton of difference. We're going to jump back in in verse 12. Because of all of that, because of who Jesus is, therefore, see the word therefore? You need to ask, what's it there for? It always points to something else. It's pointing back to this context. Right? And I said that word a couple of times. I say it a lot. 
Do not think that's overkill, but I just want you to understand God's word was not meant to be isolated to, to one single phrase that is detached from meaning of the whole story of the scriptures. <laughs> right? And now, now, does God speak certain things to us? Sure he does. Does God highlight certain things in our hearts at different times? Absolutely. Right? But God gave us his word as his word in total. It's kind of the difference between, right, I, yesterday I went to a, a wrestling tournament. My, my son, Justin's first ever wrestling tournament. I had never been to a young guy's wrestling tournament before. I walked in, was a little bit impressed. They were playing Eye of the Tiger. There were multiple, like, 10, 11, and 7-year-olds walking around, just, like, jumping around and flexing with headgear on and sweat. I was like, this is, this is real, right? This is a thing. Right, And one thing that happened there, though, is that a lot of these guys um, are probably just so strapping with their muscles, they were walking around with their singlet straps from their shoulders pulled down and just around their waist. They were just walking around with no shirts on, right, all up in the gym with a bunch of people they don't know, right? And here's the thing. My son uh, did not get to do that because his singlet has not yet come in the mail. Dad fell, right? But uh, he, he didn't get to do that. But if he wanted to, if he just was walking through the gym, if he decided to take off his shirt and just wear his shorts walking around the gym, I would have had no problem with that. Because it's all good to not wear a shirt at a wrestling meet. Now, there are times in our home where I'm okay with no shirt in the house for the boys, and they're just wrestling, having a good time. We're not worried about shirt. I'm not sure my youngest son knows that you're supposed to wear a shirt ever in the house. He may take his off in the car preparing to go in. He he has a shirt off a lot, right? So there's also times, though, in our house where it's like, hey, you should probably have a shirt on. We're having company, you know? So in that environment, it's like kind of sometimes you need a shirt. In wrestling environment, it's like perfectly fine to never wear a shirt at all. Now, if I found my boys in the shower and they had their shirts on, I'd probably be a little ticked, right? Because that's an environment where it makes no sense to have your shirt on. I, I just give you that just to say that the context matters. Because if we study these verses today and what we get and what we hear is a bunch of do this and don't do this, and we don't connect it to the context of who Jesus is in our lives, we will have done more harm than good. We will have gotten a whole lot of self-help and a lot of morality and not much of Jesus. And he's who we need. Okay? So we're flowing from that. Therefore, verse 12, that's why that's there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want to say to you, especially those of us who maybe are, are super sensitive in conscience or maybe have an inner critical voice that is strong, just notice this, that Paul is going to give the Philippians some instruction. He's going to give them some directives on what to do and what to not do. But notice that it's not a correction. He says, you've already been doing this. He's saying, you've already been obeying, but as you've always obeyed, do so now, whether I come to you and it's maybe a little easier for you to obey because I'll get to be there and lead you and encourage you and love you and support you, or if I don't get to come to you, right, because maybe I, maybe I do end up being killed after this imprisonment that he's writing from. He says, listen, either way, I want you to do these things. I just say to those of us with that sensitive conscience, with that inner critic, that instruction is not always correction. <laughs> that sometimes the Lord leading us to do you in different places doesn't mean that we'd be doing something wrong. We need to seek the active leadership of our Lord and not attach that to always feeling shame at what we've done wrong. <laughs> we have a Savior, a shepherd who's supposed to lead. And Paul, emulating that, voicing that God through him, he says, as you have always obeyed, I want you to do that even more now. 
What do you want them to do, Paul? He says, I want you to work out your own salvation, how? With fear and with trembling. It's important to notice here that this is not laid squarely on the heart and the efforts of the hearer. Yes, we're directed, work out your own salvation, but we're also told just after that that it's God who's at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. It's a you are called to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and you do that knowing that the king of the universe is at work in you to give you the desires from which to do it and to give you the actual energy and effort to do it for the glory of God. Right? Now what does it mean for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Does it mean that we walk around frightened all day like we live in a horror movie because this great God who we sing you've never failed you're so awesome your love is amazing thank you for your peace and then we go but you are absolutely terrifying and horrible please stay away I'm scared it doesn't make much sense does it God is not calling us to walk around petrified in, in some way he would have an evil intention in his heart or that he would be less than loving and caring, that he would be something other than who he says he is, which is long-suffering and patient and slow to anger and kind beyond our wildest imaginations. This is who our God is. So it can't be that we walk around scared that God is just going to lightning zap us at just the moment because that person did indeed see me trying to get that parking space and they took it. Right? And I thought that thing. And here it comes, the lightning bolts, because God's going, this, this, this is the 97th time this week and I'm tired of it that's not how it works we're not walking around in fright when we're called to live and work out our own salvation we're called to actively effort in the direction that God is taking our lives and to do so with fear and trembling I believe is to do so with a recognition that the God that we're serving who actively watches us cares over our every detail of our lives is a great and mighty God and we should fear him from respect in a strong, strong way, and oftentimes one that's lost, if I'm honest, in my life, oftentimes I believe lost in the American Christian church. Is our God our friend? Are we friends of God? Yes. Is our God kind and gentle? Yes. Does he love us so much that he'll scoop us up and squeeze us into his arms when we run to him dirty and broken as a result of our sins? Absolutely understand that our God also loves us enough that he's not okay with us continuing to perpetuate the cycles of sin and brokenness in our lives. So he'll do what he has to do to get it out. We're told in scripture that just as a father disciplines the kids that he loves if he's a good father, our father will do what he needs to do in our lives to direct us accordingly. Here's, I think, maybe some helpful distinction. I think it means that to walk out with fear and trembling would mean that we don't doubt or fear God's method, right? Sorry, I said it completely backwards. We do sometimes fear God's method, what he might do or allow in our lives because he's a big, strong God, but we don't fear his motive. I never fear right, the reason that he's doing what he's doing. I know that he's loving me, but hey, here's the deal. I would much rather him love me by me humbly falling in line with his intentions for my life and walking in line with what he says is good for my life than him having to humble me and, and if it means that he might break out the hard circumstance or he might break out the situation I wasn't looking for, God loves us enough to do whatever it takes to, to turn our eyes and hearts to seek him and love him with our whole heart. He's not a God who's sitting ready to press the button, but he's a God who will. 
that he loves us that much. And so we're called to walk out our salvation with fear and with trembling. As we do that, we see that it's this huge, giant God that we would go, man, he's massive. We would go, man, he loves me enough to scob my knob, and when he scobs, it's a big hand, and it hurts. It's that same huge God who's at work in us towards good ends. We can find happy confidence in God's commitment to our faithfulness. We can rest confident that we are being moved forward in our faith, that though we've tripped and fallen 14 times this week and our life doesn't look much like Jesus this week and we're defeated and we're hearing accusations from ourselves internally, we're hearing accusations from the enemy saying, no, you're not one of those people or there's no way that God would love you. The answer is absolutely yes, he does love me. He does care for me. He is moving me forward. And it's not because of how great I can see I'm doing right now. It's because of how awesome he is and how committed he is to me knowing him more and growing in faith. We can find happy confidence in God's commitment to our faithfulness. As I was thinking about this, I thought about a guy that I hadn't thought about in years. His name's Big Barry. I was in junior high school at Bottenfield Junior High, 7th through ninth grade. I was in 7th grade, petrified of being around ninth graders. They had hair on their lips sometimes. They were big. They had the ability to drive a car with their parents sitting next to them. It was scary. One day in PE, Big Barry came, big, tall guy. Barry was in the ninth grade. I don't know if this is true or not. It was rumored that he was 18. He apparently liked junior high. And it, I think y'all think I'm embellishing that. That was the real rumor. Now, I don't know if it was true. I don't think it was true because he looked at least 26, okay? He was a big guy. I mean, over six feet, big, huge dude. He came to little, scrawny me in the back gym, right, kind of away from the attention of the coaches and stuff. I had wandered to the back gym, and here comes Barry. And Barry stands down and looks over me, and it, it was like something out of a movie. It felt like it to me. He stood over me, and he said, hey, man, give me some change. Barry wanted a drink and a snack out of the snack machine. He said, give me some change. And I don't know where in the world this courage came from because this doesn't sound a whole lot like me, but I eked out with my best manly voice and said, I ain't got no change. <laughs> and then Barry, in all of his Barry bully wisdom, didn't take my word for it. He reached down and he patted my pocket and he heard some change jingle. And then he reached his hand in my pocket and he took some of my change and he went and got a snack. And as he walked off, as I saw my friends looking, I was like, yeah, Barry, I'm glad to help you out. You can pay me back tomorrow. Right? That's what I was thinking inside. <laughs> right? But Barry came and we had this moment. Flash forward a few weeks and our, our coaches in P are telling us that we're going to have a basketball tournament. Everybody has to participate. And because of some of the culture in our school, right, they're not going to let any team be all one ethnicity. So every team has got to have at least a white guy, a black guy. Everybody's got to have some mixture here. We're trying to, to get some cohesiveness. And, and so Barry comes over to me in the corner and I'm like, man, man, I ain't got no change. Right? That's what I'm thinking. And Barry came to me, seventh grader that he had seen, who was trying really hard at least to be a decent basketball player. He came to me, he's like, you can be on my team. And I didn't bother to tell him that. I already told some of the people I was on the team. I said, yes, sir. Okay. So. <laughs> but I remember thinking, like, I guess he thought that maybe I had some braveness and that I had lied to him, which is really a mixed up example. We'll get back to that later. But I guess he thought I had some braveness that I tried to stand up to him in this weird way. He wanted me on his team. And I remember thinking as he walked away, I remember having a clear thought, like, my team's going to win. <laughs> my team's gonna win you know how my team's gonna win because Barry's on my team and everybody in this place including maybe some of the teachers they bow down to the word of Barry 
When Barry says something, it happens. If, if Barry needs to hip check somebody into the wall for us to win this game, he'll do it. If we need a dunk, he will pick me up and let me put it in there. All right, whatever needs to happen, we will win because this looming, daunting, intimidating figure is my team captain. <laughs> now listen, God, I don't think, is going to corner you in a gym and go, hey, give me your chain. <laughs> that didn't sound like him. God is kind and amiable, but he is big and he is strong. And it is very healthy for us often to remember that and find ourselves in light of that and see ourselves under the shadow of his big, strong, bulking, muscular self. Does God have a physical body? No, but you need to see God as this big, strong, perfect. When he says it, it happens. That's who your God is. And he's committed not just to you saying, yes, I know Jesus. He's committed to you knowing him more and more and more and knowing him as this big, strong guy that will pull you in and love you enough. He's committed to your forward faithfulness. That commitment alone should give you some confident happiness about your journey forward as a follower. But what would that look like for us to journey forward? Thankfully, God does not give us a directive without giving us directions. He doesn't tell us to go do this and then not explain what this is. God's really good about explaining many times where we're supposed to be. We see that here as Paul continues on. He says in verse 14, what would it look like to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Maybe this, at least this, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says, listen, I don't want to have invested so much heart and time and gospel preaching and energy and letter writing and prayer and tears for you, church, at Philippi, I don't want to invest all of that and then get to the end of it all and realize that you never really knew Jesus to begin with and all that effort was really in vain. It was really an empty pursuit. So I don't want to do that. And so what I want you to do then is to walk actively in your salvation, to take some, some initiative, some proactive approach to your journey with God, to not wait on the pastor to tell you or whoever to step in and say, this is what you do next, but to say, I'm going to walk with Jesus. And here's what it looks like, at least part of what it looks like, is I want you to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling, the word there literally refers us back to kind of this deep, guttural, just kind of to yourself voicing of dissatisfaction. There, there was a, a cartoon, I believe it was part of the Hanna-Barbera group back in the day. Some of y'all are like, who's Hanna-Barbera? I don't even know what he's talking about. Right, but there was this little dog. I think his name might have been Muttley. I'm probably wrong, so don't correct me on the name. If my wife's in here, we're good. Okay, but right, there was this little dog. He would walk around, and he was just constantly kind of going, he was just mad about something all the time. Right, anytime a decision was made, it seemed like, I'm like, how many times can the guy not get it go his way? It was like every single time he's walking around, it's kind of like me when I'm putting up the Christmas lights. It sounds a lot like that. That's grumbling. It's, hey, I'm frustrated. Hey, I, I can't believe this is happening to me. I don't like it. And I'm kind of internally and, and mostly to myself, I'm just kind of spinning it and churning it. And I'm grumbling. And I don't like it. Grumbling voices, I deserve better. 
And I want you to live without this. Do all things. Wait a minute, all things? You want me to not grumble about the big deals? I get that, but you, you don't want me to grumble even about the small things? Even about the small things. Without grumbling, also without disputing. The word here, disputing, this is when this grumbling and this I deserve better turns into a two-person deal, and it becomes a conversation. And now I'm outwardly saying, right, it goes from I deserve better to I'm saying it out loud, so I know better. I'm contentious, and I'm willing to tell you what I know, and I'm willing to argue for what should be mine. I I, I want it. I want to complain about it. I want to grumble about it. I want to argue about it. I want to dispute with you. These are the kind of attitudes and actions that mark us. Paul says, no, don't let that be true. Why? That word that at the beginning of verse 15 is a connecting word. So he's saying when you do this thing, that I've told you to do in verse 14. Here's what's going to happen in verse 15. And it's beautiful. That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul's not talking about perfection here. Because it's not going to happen for any of us. If that's your first time to hear that in life, come meet me afterwards. We'll chat. It's not going to happen for any of us. He's not talking about perfection. What he's talking about is a lively, energetic, truthful intent of our heart to pursue God's honor in all things such that there's not something missing from us. That's kind of what that word there, blameless, means. right? That something hasn't been carved off of us. There's not something deficient in our lives that should be there as followers of Jesus. He says, I want you to be able to be blameless. I want you to be able to be innocent, pure in your faith, undiluted by the world that surrounds you. I want you to live this kind of life. Why? Because when you do, you will shine as lights in a dark, dark world. Listen, we grumble and we dispute. We grumble personally and we dispute interpersonally. We do that when we lose sight of finding contentment only in Jesus. doesn't mean we don't want something else. doesn't mean we wouldn't like something else. If somebody asks me, what would you like for Christmas? I go, oh, I'll have nothing, please. Right? It's okay to give an answer to that question. What it means is that if anybody even failed to remember that I exist and nobody handed me anything for Christmas, it's okay with me because I've got Jesus. It's okay not to be given something when you already have everything. This is a great heartbeat to understand contentment in Jesus. And that's when we start to grumble and dispute is when we lose sight of contentment in Jesus. It's when we start to say, no, I think it has to be this way. My preference becomes a rule. It's when we start to mumble to ourselves, I deserve better than this. No, the truth for every single soul that's ever walked the face of this earth is the only thing you've ever earned for yourself is eternal separation from God. That's all you've ever ultimately earned for yourself. deserve better (laughs) contentment in Christ is radiant to a 
restless world because there's a lot of people out there. The culture, the world that we live in is just full of people who are willing to strive hard to get what they want, willing to backbite and talk about and argue with no matter what. You've seen people have fights about ridiculous things, haven't you? (laughs) Have you seen people fight in a parking lot and you're like, man, you guys don't even know each other. How could y'all be this angry already? (laughs) People will fight about ridiculous things. But when we choose to have our contentment focus squarely on Jesus and go, hey, I've already got everything, so it's okay if I don't get something, then all of a sudden we're people who aren't so wired to grumble. We're people who aren't so wired to dispute. And that looks a whole lot different from the world that's around us. I was playing the role of Jesus in a drama at my church when I was, I guess, about 21, 22, college age. We'd come to the end of it, and not because of any of our acting skills, I promise, but it just seemed that God was genuinely at work in a lot of people's hearts. And I remember he was at work in mine. I was so, man, it was, it was I don't know if you've ever done the I'm going to play Jesus in the play thing, but I would not recommend it personally. That's probably not the, what you thought you'd get from a pastor, but man, it made me really deal with myself, <laughs> okay? So it's over, and I'm down at the altar, and I'm praying. I get done praying. I'm just kind of sitting there, and this guy comes up to me few years older than myself, he comes up very kindly and he, he gets down to me and he goes, hey, do you, do you remember me? You know who I am? And I did, really clearly. See, it had only been like probably four or five weeks prior to that that we had played against them in a church basketball game. I'm not sure what the deal is with the basketball story today. We had played against them and I fancied myself to think that I might be a little bit of a decent basketball player and he was, like, he was a former college player. He was a good basketball player. And I just got more and more frustrated as he and his friends were shutting down me and my friends. And I just got, I was just, I was just angry, and I started to mouth off and pop off at the mouth a little bit. Didn't know your pastor would do that, did you? I did. That was way back then, though. We're good now, right? Of course. Started pop, and eventually things got so much that he was hand-checking me, and I thought he was fouling me, and I didn't like the way he was being so aggressive. Like, this is a church basketball league, for goodness sake. Let me have a point. Right? <laughs> I mean, don't let me know that you're letting me have a point, but let me, you know? And he was just hand-checking me and all this stuff. And eventually, I just got so frustrated that I was just like, man, that's it. And I just walked off in the middle of the game. Didn't pass the ball to somebody on my team. Didn't call a timeout. None of that stuff. I just went, that's it. And I just walked off and went and sat on the bench. And it was just an awkward moment in the whole gym. I'm so embarrassed about it right now that I'm saying it out loud. I hadn't said this in a long time. And I'm going, I don't know if I should have went with this because this is embarrassing. I knew him clearly. Because now that I'm dressed, in my brown cloak to look like the Jesus who had just died on the cross, and I'm sitting at the altar. And now that he's saying, do you remember who I am? Man, my actions, that looked a whole lot different than Jesus were really clear to me, and they were really ugly. They didn't look much like Jesus. Not the Jesus that I was pointedly representing. What's interesting, though, is that it was around that same time that a girl who was a couple years younger than me in school came to me one night after church. And she said, you know that thing people say, like live your life for Jesus because you may be the only Jesus that somebody sees. Like they may not have a lot of Christian people around them, whatever. I was like, yeah. She was like, I just want you to know, like you, you're that to me. And I was like, well, you need to go talk to this guy that I played ball against because uh, it ain't for him. <laughs> but it was one of the most humbling, oh my goodness, moments in my life. 
realize that this girl, his family, were not followers of Jesus, weren't trying to point towards Jesus, weren't trying to live like Jesus. He's going, I've been around you, and it's making me start to think that Jesus likes me. Now, had I been perfect around this girl, Ashley? No. Not even close. But was I living my life? In that part, in that season, was I living my life on purpose, trying to influence people around me for the glory of God? Yes. Was I trying to be agreeable and not contentious and not be boastful and bragful and, and having arguments? And all? I wanted to just love Jesus and be about him. That was a sweet, sweet season in my faith for the most part. But she's going, man, I hate this guy. And here's another guy who's just being a brother. He wasn't trying to be a jerk, but he's, he's rightfully calling me to question because he's going, I remember the court and I don't see it. for us is, are we people who are content in silence? Are we people who hurt because we don't have that thing or who long to have it? Absolutely, that experience, that relationship, that whatever it is, sure, and that's okay, and that's human, and let's deal with that and talk with God about that and experience all that. I'm not trying to take any of that away. I'm just saying that under that, bigger than that, stronger than that is Jesus, <laughs> who is everything that you ultimately need. And when we live like we know that and we're peaceable and we're content, that looks so glaringly different than a world around us that is restless. Is it the aim of your life to live content in Christ, to let others see also? they could find that same contentment. Is it the aim of your life? Is it the pattern of your life? Are you a person who walks around constantly ticked off? Nobody would know outside of the two or the four doors of your vehicle, but when you're in that vehicle, boy, you letting some folks know what's up. <laughs> this, is, this isn't about shame. This is about a Savior who wants to step in and transform that. He wants you to be set free from that jadedness. He wants you to be set free that sense of emptiness. He wants you to know that he can be everything. And when we live that way, it's bright to the world around us. Paul is okay with effort. He's just not okay with empty effort. But you see that he's certainly okay with striving hard as he says this to finish out our verses. Verse 17. He says, I have run for you. I've labored for you. I don't want that to be in vain. Verse 17 even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice. There's our word. I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What I believe Paul is not saying, a lot of times a lot of interpreters or theologians will say that what Paul means here is that that he's going to die for the sake of the gospel from this imprisonment in Rome as he writes this letter. He's eventually going to die. He's already told us in the letter he's not sure if that's going to happen or not. And if, if we look at some other translations that maybe are a little more precise than the one I'm reading this moment on this particular verse, they, they give us a little bit better idea. It says, if I am being poured out. It's, a, it's an active, current thing that's already happening. So he's not necessarily talking about Something that's going to happen. He's going, hey, right now, this life I'm living, this life of sacrificial ministry for you and for others to know Jesus. He says, that sacrificial life, if I'm living that to be a drink offering, well, what is a drink offering? 
could also be called a libation in the ancient world. It would have been something that not just followers of Jesus could be familiar with and not even just those who participated in the covenant law of the Old Testament knew about. Lots of Old, Old Testament ancient religions would have been familiar with a libation. A libation was kind of the, the part of the sacrifice. After you've already put the main sacrifice on the altar, then you would take this drink, be it wine or honey or possibly sometimes water, and you would pour it either on the sacrifice or at the ground in front of the altar. It was kind of this last part of the sacrifice, and it was symbolizing how this sacrifice would raise up to the God that you were worshiping, and it would be pleasing unto them. And Paul's saying, listen, if my whole life of serving you and being imprisoned and all the hardship that I'm facing, if I'm going through all of that so that my involvement in your life can help your life raise up to God, can help your attention raise up to God, can help your affection raise up to God, to help your life be less worry and more worship as we heard this morning as well. If, if, if I can use my life, even if it hurts a little bit, to help your life love Jesus, then that is something that I'm not upset about in the least. I'm absolutely glad about it. I rejoice about it. And I invite you to be excited about it too, that I would suffer for the sake of you knowing our King Jesus. We can trust God for great happiness in helping others follow Jesus. When I strain my life, when I align my life, when I point my life at helping other people follow Jesus, we can trust for lots of things that it'll be hard. At times it'll be awkward. At times I won't know what to say. But the biggest and best thing that we can trust our God for when we strain our lives at helping other people follow Jesus, which means meeting him and continuing to walk with him. It means not just salvation, but sanctification. It means not just the introduction, but the ongoing relationship. When I'm saying, I want my life to help your life do that, when we do that, we can count on happiness because our heart is aligned with the heart of God. poured into as a late high school, early college guy, several guys who were two or three years younger than myself. Loved them, had a lot of laughs, talked a lot about Jesus, probably gave them more bad advice than good at times. <laughs> but I tried hard. One of those guys, his name was Scott. And the coolest thing happened one day, not too long before I was to kind of move into some different areas in life and our relationship. We, we still talk, but our relationship was going to shift a little bit. I stopped by the church that we were a part of. I ran in to get something from the room downstairs that the youth group used. And as I ran in there, it just so happened that I found Scott. And Scott was sitting around a table, and he had four or five guys that were two or three years younger than him around him. He was the only one old enough to drive. He had gone and asked permission and picked these junior high guys up and brought them to study the Bible and go eat lunch with them. Man, it's <laughs> that, that was years ago. I wasn't personally involved in that moment. Nobody sang my praises, but it's, it's an easy, fun, glad memory for me because I had invested my life in helping this guy, Scott, and others follow Jesus. There's a guy who leads in ministry now. There's another guy named Jason who sells commercial door products, those big cool doors that slide all the way to one side and then you can open them and they do like an accordion that are so expensive that I'll never buy one. But he, he sells those successfully, but you know what else he does? He leads his family to know and love Jesus and he talks about Jesus and his grandmother. 
lives and they're loving Jesus. And I got to tell you, there's not a fulfillment in life that's greater than knowing Jesus and knowing that he's using your life to help others know Jesus. Will we be committed, Dublin Bible Church, to being those kind of people? That we would expect to find happiness from God as we use our lives to help others know Jesus. Will we be those kind of people? How would you do that? Start somewhere would be my greatest encouragement. Take a first step. Maybe your first step is, I don't know how to encourage somebody else in their faith. Maybe you need to go to somebody that you see mature in their faith and go, hey, I don't know how, but I want to. Help me. Maybe that's the first step. Maybe your first step is praying and going, God, who would it be that you have for me to try to invest in? But I'm talking here in this room, and I'm talking outside of this room. Who are the people in our lives that we can help know and follow Jesus? When we start to see our lives as that being kind of the mainstream for the glory of God, and not the side aisle, we might be surprised at how much gladness and happiness we'll have. We'll have some sorrow, but we will have overwhelming happiness from that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm not talking about if you know what to say about him or if you said a thing years ago or if you were even put in some water or whatever. I'm talking about if you know deep in your heart that you don't know Jesus or maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, I'm not sure that I know this Jesus who can bring me happiness. If that's you today, you're not the enemy. Nobody's mad at you. I hope you don't leave here today feeling beat up and your head hung in shame. I hope that you leave here today knowing that there is a God who loves to redeem the broken just like me and just like you. If you would like to talk any more about that, come find me when we're done. Find a friend in this place, but don't do nothing with it if you're not sure if you know him. Don't do nothing with it if you know for sure that you don't know him. Do something with that. Follow Jesus here in this room. How do we need to respond? What's your first step? Seeing Jesus is everything, such that you're not grumbling and complaining, but instead your life is focused outward on how you can help others know Jesus. What's your first step? Let's get some of us. What's your next step? Let's trust God to show us. Let's pray. God. God, in in light of a word that I know is true, I know it's true, God. I know it because I trust it. Thank you for the faith you've given me. God, I know it because I've experienced it. I know it's true. And yet, God, what's also true is my fear of what others would think, me trying to invest in their lives, my fear at doing it inadequately, my fear of offending someone, There's, there's so many things that could get in the way for me, and I, I believe, God, for us. God, I ask that you would let us be people who are unable to escape the idea, unable to escape the truth that you've designed us to be happy in the worship of you and in the proclamation of you. God, would you show us Right now, maybe even, God, would you put people in our minds? Would you say it so clearly that we can't deny it? God, would you put people in our minds? Would you show us your next steps? But would you do whatever it takes? God, to make us be a people who are happy to pursue others to help them know Jesus.
Do that, God, for the glory of your name. Do that for our joy. Um, Show us now. Let us leave the church to worship you with even greater zeal and vigor than when we worshiped you this year in this place. Let us scatter for your glory every bit as much as we scattered for your glory. Let us live lives of worship. Help us, God. Remind us. Draw us. Be patient with us, but continue to prompt us. Please, God. Let us see you active in our lives and in the world around us through our worship. We ask this for the glory of your name. Please, God. Amen.